BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Pod. I hope this podcast episode is finding you well. I am back from Paris. Bonjour, au revoir. Um, je m'appelle Victoria. It's funny, I did not say that in Paris, but now I'm saying it on the podcast. I learned, did I learn some French on my trip? Um, no, not really. Unfortunately, I didn't. Well, actually, that's a lie because I didn't know anything going in, and now I know bonjour, au revoir. Jemapel Victoria, and I know parlez-vous anglais, which means you speak English. So, you know, we learned some things. But anyways, my mom and I had the best time. It was so much fun. Literally, every day was just the best. And I am happy to be back. I do. I don't get homesick, but I do love living in America, mainly the food. I'm comforted by just a classic turkey sandwich, a pizza bagel, baby carrots and ranch. I mean, and it just hits different when you eat it in the States. Anyways, Paris was amazing, but I'm happy to be back, back in the swing of things. And it's Wednesday. So we got you another real pod episode. And today's conversation is super powerful. My guest, Doug Bobst, is an award-winning personal trainer, author, speaker, and host of the Adversity Advantage podcast, which I've been a guest on. I had a lovely experience with Doug. That's why I wanted to have him on real pod. He is known for transforming his life as a former felon and drug addict sentenced to years in jail due to poor decisions, which we're going to hear about today, to now becoming a successful mentor and public speaker. And today, Doug is going to share parts of his story like never before. And I think there is so much to gain from this conversation. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Renee. Hi, Renee. Renee left a review last week that said, I normally only listen to true crime podcasts, but after following Vic on TikTok, I checked out the pod. I never thought I would relate to a podcast so much and be able to binge 10 episodes in a day. Thank you for bringing realness back and being simply yourself. Oh my gosh, Renee, 10 episodes in a day. That is wild, but I love that. I'm not going to complain. Please listen to all the epis. Go back in the catalog. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you found it and you gave it a chance and that you're loving it. And thank you for taking the time to leave the review because that truly means so much. Reviews really, really help out the podcast. So if any of you want to take a little sec, you know, 10, 20 seconds, go write me what you're thinking, what you're feeling. I would appreciate it. And you might be the shout out on next week's episode. Who doesn't love a shout out? And you can leave it a rating wherever you listen. Without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Doug Bobst. Hey, 
Doug, welcome to RealPod. It's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming, Victoria, but I'm blessed to be here. Thanks for having me. You obviously have this incredible story, and it's very inspiring that you share. I feel like I can relate to that in the sense that I also have a story that I share. And recently, I've been thinking about how I have certain like binge eating episode experiences that I I know and I share because those were the ones that five years ago when I started advocacy work, I told. And then when I try to think about like the other ones, I've hammered them out of my brain. Yeah, because I think we all like, especially when you get on the circuit and you speak and you do podcasts, you you know what kind of resonates and, and aligns with the audience. You know, like what's going to really hit home. And you continue to tell that because you're like, oh, this works. People are messaging me. I'm getting a lot of great feedback. I might as well just, you know, not try and reinvent the wheel. Right. But I think what I found, especially lately, like on that point, it's funny you brought that up, that there's, that there's so many other elements to my story that I don't talk about as much that I think are just as, if, and if not even more relatable to like the average person. Yeah, well, I, I want to do that today. It's weird, like, because I know the feeling of kind of detaching from the words you're saying because you know, you know, it's like when I give a keynote about my depressive thoughts and I know where to pause for dramatic effect. And I'm like, this is kind of fucked up. Like, this was my depression. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the things that, I'm really excited to talk about today. And it relates to my story is that the, the idea that external validation nearly destroyed my mental health when I was in my 20s. And growing up, I was I was I was looking for something to to save me with external validation, with with substances from attention from women, validation, like if I made a sports team or not, which I didn't, which was part of why I had such low self-esteem, validation from my peers, family members, and then if you had told me like when I was in the thick of my addiction journey, like Doug, if you could have three things in the world, I'll give them to you right now. But if I give them to you, you got to promise to never do drugs again. What would they be? And I would be like, sure. Give me a ripped body. Give me a lot of money and give me plenty of dates with pretty women. Because that's what I thought. That's what I always wanted when I was a kid to make me happy. I was like, man, I just wish I had a better body. I just wish girls liked me. I just wish I had like money to be able to spend however I wanted to and have to look over, I didn't have to look over my shoulder as to whether a police officer was watching what I was doing, right? And then into my 20s, like after I got out of jail and I transformed myself and I got to a place where I was super ripped, I was in great shape, I was making great money legally for the first time. I was getting attention from, from girls. I still wasn't happy. And I felt like I had been lied to for mm -hmm. so long. And I was even more, I think, upset and unhappy in a way at that time because I had chased after these things for so long, thinking that it would give me that next thing in my life, that next level of happiness, that next level of fulfillment, that I would never struggle with self-confidence again. And it just really forced me to like understand that things like attraction, things like money, things like health, or they're obviously important, but they can't be the end all be all for you. Mm -hmm. Like they can't be what like fills you up on the inside. Like you have to validate yourself internally. And then those things can come as a result of that. Yeah. You know, and you have a healthier relationship with things like that. I'm obsessed with that entire thing. And it hits for me because yes, I thought I'm going to go to USC. I want to play volleyball. I especially thought once I find the guy, like once I meet my soulmate, the love of my life, I was a big hopeless romantic. So I love fairy tales and all that stuff. And in fairy tales, you do see that when Prince Charming kisses the princess, like everything is fixed. Like, you know, you indirectly learn this messaging that when you find your guy, you go happily ever after in the carriage. And I remember being so in love with Max, my now husband, we're dating, everything's amazing. But I was on the road for a volleyball tournament, I was just waking up so depressed. Mm. Here I, here we go again. I don't feel connected to anyone on my team. I have to deal with this anxiety. I got to play through it. I got to go perform at a really high level. I have no energy. Like I just felt my eyes start to get watery as I just wanted to cry and get back into bed. Max texted me. So coincidentally, I just see on my phone, Max Brown. And then I was like, whoa. And I looked in the mirror and thought, no, that, that's the guy. Like That's mm. the Prince Charming. Yet I'm here and I feel like shit. Right. And I don't want to be doing this. And that's when I thought, whoa, I can't be completed by someone else. Like we go on these external journeys to find something. And the thing that we're looking for is deep down inside of us, right? 
Yeah, and I think it's to, to to some level that's like normal as humans that we want validation, we want attention, we want to feel like loved, we want to feel like we're doing good in the world. But like you said, if like if you're not careful and you're just constantly going on this pursuit for external validation, it'll catch up with you. I had a similar experience, not necessarily with in a in a relationship specific setting, but you know, fitness is the thing that that, that completely saved my life when I was incarcerated on felony drug charges. And so when I got out of jail, I constantly was like looking for the next thing in my fitness journey to lose uh, another percentage body fat, to do more push-ups, to run further, to try, try this diet, try that diet. And it got to a place where I was completely exhausted and burned out professionally as a trainer. And uh, at the same time, I was trying to compete in a men's physique competition, which I, I didn't really, I wasn't like, I mean, I, I respected that's the sport, but I wasn't like infatuated with doing it for the right reasons. I was more looking for I just want to be as ripped as possible and I want people to like me and I want to be validated and this and this would like be a perfect example of how to do that. And I remember I started to have cr crazy anxiety and panic attacks like throughout a time in my life where I thought that I would be the quote unquote healthiest. And I remember just breaking down and just ready to quit on this competing for this physique competition because I knew it wasn't the right thing for me to do. And I called one of my best friends who was also a mentor of mine, also a personal trainer. And he was just like, dude, I was, I've been waiting for this call for a long time. He's like, I know why you're doing it and you're not doing it for the right reasons. Because I would be at his house and I'd be, they'd be like getting pizza, watching football. And I'd be like not eating any unhealthy food because I was worried about what it would do to my body fat percentage mm -hmm. or the way I looked in the mirror the next day. Or I just was miserable and unhappy and he could pick up on that. And I said, I'm just worried that if I don't maintain like peak condition, that my clients are going to fire me. My, my training clients. Yeah. And he was like, why'd your clients hire, hire you in the first place? Like, were you walking around with your shirt off in the gym and they just saw you and they were like, man, I got to train with this guy because he looks like a model. And I'm like, no. He's like, why'd they train with you? I was like, because of my story and my, how I can relate to people and because of what I've gone through and they felt connected to me. He was like, and what does that have to do with your a physique competition? And I just had this wake up call. And that was like a big catalyst for me in this journey of, you know, getting to a place where, you know, fitness, like I said, it saved my life. But then taking it, to the next level and saying, all right, for this period of time, you know, post jail, fitness has been like, you know, encompassed the majority of my life. Now it's time to make it part of my life and not my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I started living for other things and not just the way I looked. And it was pretty pivotal in my life for and me. The thing about validation from other people is we in our minds come up with what we think that they want from us. And then we try to do it. You know, your anxious thoughts or brain told you, I need to be the most fit and win this competition so that they think that I'm motivating and I'm fit. You created this. This is what the people want from me. When he was checking you and being like, no one ever said that to you. That's not what they want. I feel like I do that a lot now in life with just like the expectation of what I should be like, what I should be posting, what my passion should be, because it's like I'm like, that's what people want from me. And it, no one's actually really said that to me. And if we are living a life because we're trying to do the thing that is going to make other people happy, we're going to be miserable. Yeah. And I think the ironic thing about everything you just said, and I struggle with this, I know I'm sure a lot of people struggle with it, is that most people don't necessarily like you for trying to be something else. Most people will like somebody because they are themselves mm -hmm. and they're sticking to what they do and they're being authentic and organic. I mean, you see some of the most quote unquote viral content on the internet is stuff that's like hardly edited and it's just people being their, themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And because people relate to that. And I think the more we try to achieve this facade of perfection, the more we will suffer because it's just impossible to get to a place where everything in your life, everything in the way you look, everything that you post is perfect. It's just not realistic. Okay, now I said I was very particular about what I brought to Paris and I'm not kidding you when I say that I also brought element to Paris. You might've seen my Instagram story where I was fresh off the flight, like the seven hour flight. And what did I do? I chugged an element, specifically the raspberry flavor. Element is an electrolyte drink mix. It's very tasty. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. But the biggest impact Element has for me is it prevents and eliminates headaches and fatigue and sleeplessness. 
All of those are common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. And when I take Element, I just feel revived. So I love taking Element. I literally encourage all my friends to take it. I influenced Aubrey to buy the full-on packet with all the different flavor options. And she told me she's almost through it. And right now, Element is offering RealPod listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. So that's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way, you guys, to try all eight flavors or have extra and share it with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash realpod. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash realpod. Also, it's risk-free. If you don't like it, you can get your money back, no questions asked. So you got nothing to lose. That's drinkelement.com slash realpod. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You all know here at RealPod, we talk about therapy a lot. Pretty much every guest also talks about therapy. We are big fans. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we just don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I've been going to therapy on and off for seven years now, leaning on it whenever I feel like I need help and guidance in my life. And there's no shame in reaching out and talking to someone when you feel like you're struggling, whether you know, you're know you dealing with family issues, relationship issues, identity crises, trauma, depression, anxiety. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. This is great because you can really find the therapist that you vibe with, which is so, so important. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash realpod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash RealPod today to get 10% off your first month. You're obviously incredibly vulnerable. I think especially as a man in this society, that's not something that we come across often. It sounds like growing up, you weren't forthcoming about your insecurities and you coped with those feelings of not good enough with weed, right? When did you start to understand that being honest and leading with your truth was actually what was going to connect you to other people? I I think there was a few moments. I would say that the first moment that I was like a big wake up call, because I think self-awareness comes in a couple ways, right? It can come proactively where you actually are, you know, you're dedicated to taking time to journaling, to meditating, doing some self-discovery, and you can find out things about you and what's going on with your life. Or it comes from a massive wake up call where you're like, oh shit. Like what's going on with my life? What just happened, right? And that would that kind of self awareness is what happened to me when I got pulled over, I got arrested on on felony drug charges, and I was in the back of this cop car, and I was just thinking to myself, like, how did this kid who just wanted to be loved, how did this kid who just wanted to fit in, how did this kid who just wanted attention from girls, like, how did this like good kid I thought end up in the back of a cop car? And you had those thoughts in the cop car. Yeah, that seems like a lot of awareness. But it was just like everything kind of came to a head because I was like, oh, it was an oh crap moment. Like what just happened? Like this is real. Like this isn't a bad dream anymore. And by, which, by the way, I mean, the thought of the government like putting like in that moment, your free will, like your rights as a human, the American dream, like that's gone. Did you have a panic attack in the back of the cop car? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was kind of was pretty sedated on like drugs. So that helped subside those feelings. But but yeah, I mean, my heart was in the pit of my stomach. I was shaking. I just thought my life was over. I didn't think I was going to ever amount to anything. How old were you? I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was, I was like, how did I go from the kid who just wanted to be loved to where I am now? And it was just a result of my unwillingness to change and to sincerely, I guess, ask for help. And also the, the poor coping mechanisms that I developed as a kid, like that all like snowballed into me being in the, in the cop car. It's not like I just started smoking weed and all of a sudden the next day I was arrested. No, a, a lot of other things had to happen. Like I, I got involved with selling weed. I got involved with snorting cocaine. I got involved with Oxycontin, which is with the, the drug that really brought me to my knees where I developed the three, 400 milligram a day Oxycontin habit. 
And I, I was on my way to make a deal to get some, a drug deal to get some Oxy as well when I was driving my car. And when I was in jail, that was like the big wake up call with self-awareness as to when my cellmate helped save my life. I want to like slow down in your story yeah. here because it's, it's juicy, Doug. It's a juicy <laughs> story. Entering jail. I mean, what kind of prison facility was this? What do the dudes look like around <laughs> you? How are the officers treating you? What are you wearing? What's the bed look like? It was it was crazy. You know, the, the ironic thing is when I w walked into jail, I cried because I didn't want to go in. As you can, I'm sure you can imagine all kinds of feelings that I had as somebody who was hyper insecure. But I, all the, the, the horrors that you could think of, I, I had because I was also like somebody who had never really been into a fight. I was the kid who was unathletic. So I was like, I'm definitely going to be the kid who, who gets picked on because I was picked on as a, as a teenager. So why wouldn't I get picked on in jail? And for the most part, the people in there, they weren't necessarily scary. They were just trying to go in there and, and do their time so they could get out. Right. Or a lot of them were in there awaiting court. Like, I mean, the detention center was for like you would stay there and have be sentenced there if you had a smaller sentence. I think I believe and don't quote me on this. I think you have to get like a year and a day sentence to be in sentenced to like a state prison, I mm -hmm. believe, in, in Maryland, I believe. And so a lot of people were just in there for smaller sentences or are awaiting like their court date to be sentenced. And I got lucky to be in like a, a, a normal like population where there wasn't a lot of fighting. It was pretty like, like low risk people in there, like lower crimes, I guess you could say. And my soon to be cellmate was like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. <laughs> and he was sitting there at the Scrabble table because what we would do like during the day is it's like you said, like my freedoms were gone. So I couldn't just go outside when I wanted to. I couldn't call who I wanted to. I couldn't eat what I, I, I couldn't eat what I wanted to. I, my freedoms were very obviously limited. And so we would play board games, card games, you know, watch you know, certain channels on the television that we were allowed to read books. And do you ask each other what you're in there for? Is that taboo? Like I'm just, I'm going off of movies here. <laughs> it, it is kind of taboo. You, you kind of, I guess, have to get to know somebody a little bit, right? I think it's like, if you just walk up to somebody and the first thing is like, what would you do? You know, it can be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But my, the guy who was my cellmate ended up like looking at me, he was playing Scrabble and he could just tell that I was unconfident. He could tell that there was something like off with me because I was detoxing off Oxy still for the first few weeks of my sentence. And he was looked at me, he was like, you're going to start working out with me when you get through your detox. And I was just like, dude, there's no way. Like I could have been a model for Pillsbury at the time. And I was unathletic, uncoordinated and just horrific self-esteem and my my i was so worried about what other people thought of me the fact the, the thought of me getting down to work out in front of a bunch of grown men who i didn't know who i initially thought were quote unquote scary it was never going to happen right but this conversation changed my life keep in mind that i was in jail and it's the context of what he said to me that i think is really important and we were in the cell and this was like my big wake-up moment and he was asking me why i was in there and he was like, I was like, my parents got divorced when I was five. Girls didn't like me. I didn't make the sports teams. People picked on me. And he looks at me and he was like, quit being a bitch. And I just was like, well, what do you mean? Because in that moment, I wanted him to coddle me and say, it's okay, Doug. The world's against you. Like, you know, it's everybody else's fault that you're here. He's like, Doug, like, there's plenty of people that went through what you went through that aren't in, in jail. And he was like, you made choices, unfortunately, that got yourself here. And, you know, he told me, you know, it's like, it's like a hard thing to hear, but he was like, you have two choices. You can be a man, look at yourself in the mirror and say, it's up to you to change your life. Like no one's coming to rescue you. No one's going to change your life for you. And as hard as that was for me to hear, I, I knew that that is what needed to happen because I had began to have, I mean, the drugs were out of my system to a certain extent. And I was like, I clearly don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'd had 21 jobs by the time I was 21. And where are your parents at during this? They're around but my, my relationship with my parents was very t damaged when I was a teenager because they were divorced I always got along better with my mom my dad and I had a, a, a like a kind of a hard relationship growing up but my mom ended up kicking me out of her house when I was 16 because she caught me with a little bit of pot and I had done some other things up, to, up leading up to that that you know kind of in a way justified her doing that and she kicked me out and I immediately went to go live with my dad changed schools within 24 hours. And so I had so much resentment, abandonment issues with my mom. Mm -hmm. And that created a lot of tension between us that that impacted our relationship. Then my dad and I butted heads for just different reasons altogether. And so they were, they were there, but I didn't at that time feel like they like cared about me, mm -hmm. you know? 
My grandparents, on the other hand, they were my save. They've been my saving grace my entire life. They were always there for me, no matter what. They were the ones who regularly would come and visit me in jail. They were the ones who've constantly supported me. They were the ones who took me in after I got out of jail. They've been a, a constant in my life. And, and so when I was having this conversation, I started to realize with my cellmate, I started to realize, I think he's right. Some unfortunate things have happened to me. I do need to look at myself in the mirror and say, if I want my life to get better, I have to, to take control to, certain, to some extent. Like I can't just keep relying on external things to try to fix me. And then it also taught me that I don't, I don't know everything. I'm not the smartest person. So it allowed me to be vulnerable and say, I need help. Will you help me? Mm -hmm. Can you help me change? Can you guide me? And my cellmate. What's his name? Eric. And he passed away a year ago. Which oh, is one sorry. Of the, that's all right. Which was one of the hardest moments of my life. And he just, from that conversation, he just like, you know, you have these two choices. Like, what, what's it going to be for you? And I decided to take him up on his offer to train me during my sentence and went down to do a push-up, could barely do a push-up, couldn't even do one for my knees, could barely walk up and down the steps. And um, with his motivation and encouragement, training me in there every single day, I was able to do a set of 10 push-ups and run a mile by the time my 90-day sentence was over. And I felt for the first time like I was finally ready to transform my life because all the masks had come off. Mm -hmm. You know, the masks of, you know, trying to fit in, the mask of addiction, the mask of validation from women, the mask of fill in the blank, like, you know, being wanted from selling drugs. That was all, I was purely raw and naked mentally and emotionally in jail. I had to redefine how I was going to deal with my emotions. Like I, there, there was no option for me to just go and get high in jail. There was no option for me to lash out at the guards. I would be put in solitary confinement. It was a a hard situation for me, but it was also the situation that ended up trans changing my life completely. Yeah, it sounds like literal rock bottom, but also, I mean, the most pivotal epiphany you've probably had in your life that then completely changed the trajectory of your life. When you got out, then now, and we're kind of like jumping around here. In the beginning, you were talking about, you know, not having this great relationship with food because in your 20s, you were pursuing the fitness then here we are, you know, you're getting out of jail. Did you go cold turkey? I'm going to be sober from alcohol, weed, drugs, everything like that. Yeah, my, I never got like addicted. I mean, the most thing, the biggest thing I got addicted to, I would say, was like the validation thing from like the fitness and the way I looked when I got out. When I first got out of jail, the toughest part was like getting reacclimated to society and then figuring out like, all right, how, what was my relationship going to look like with my friends? Because some of these friends that I spent time with, I had hung out with for years and years. And they weren't necessarily bad people. They were just people that weren't aligned with where I wanted to go in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky that when I was in jail, I spent enough time there. And again, like it's weird. Like now we talk about like neuroplasticity and rewiring your brain. And I didn't obviously know about that when I was in jail. But I think I, I organically just kind of did that mm -hmm. to where when I would get stressed or I would get some sort of... Um, craving or whatever in jail, like I could just go for a walk or I would run or I would do a push up, or I would play a game or I would do something that would distract me enough to get through that like wave. And then the wave would kind of settle down a little bit. And then I got used to that. And I was like, oh, okay. Like eventually this craving feeling will go away as long as I can change my focus a little bit and just ride the wave out a little bit. And so when I got out of jail, that kind of same pattern happened to where if I heard, because there was people that were you know, gossiping about me, I had a lot of people doubting me. I was on probation. I had a lot of fear that was overwhelming me that I had to find a way to deal with that. And that came in the form of running. It came in the form of, I guess, an exercise after I got out of jail and, and just spending time with different people. I would think that this sort of experience would maybe prove to you like okay, the quote unquote worst thing has happened to you and all the people that you grew up with are gossiping about you like like it's happened you know like people maybe you know knowing you went to jail or you were a dealer or you this like that happened they all knew and here you are like still alive like I would think that experience maybe would arm you going forward in your life for maybe not caring as much what people think about you because they already knew and thought you know quote the worst yeah because when I started to initially share my story, you know, and talk about my life, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really have, it wasn't like, you know, small things I was 
kind of talking about. Because when I started sharing my story, like when I first became a trainer back in, I guess it's 2010 to 2011, like pot was still very stigmatized. So when I would tell people that I was a convicted felon and that I was in jail for selling drugs, like I had to be so comfortable with myself and I had to be confident that the people who judged me for that weren't meant to be in my life. They just weren't. Mm -hmm. Because the people that were meant to be in my life were the people that were like, you know what? This kid just made some mistakes just like everybody else. And he's now doing what he can to better himself and change. And that just became a muscle to where, like I said, if I shared my story with somebody and they were like, oh, well, F you, I can't spend time with you. I'd be like, all right, next. That just means you're not meant to be in my life. And I knew I had to own that. Cause like there's, there's, we all have like choices in that, right? I could be, my, my other choice was to say, I'm so ashamed of my past and I'm just gonna make up some lie about my story so I never have to be the true me and share that. But then I'd be miserable long-term. Right. You know what I mean? Okay, I mean it when I say this. I have the best sheets ever. That's right. I believe I have the best sheets ever. Not only are they so, so incredibly soft, but they are temperature regulating and made with viscose from bamboo. They're the bamboo sheet set from Cozy Earth, and I am obsessed with them. I'll never forget when Max and I moved into our apartment and I bought this like, you know, thousand thread count, whatever it was, some insane sheet set. And it was fine. It was okay. But then Cozy Earth sent me their bamboo sheet set and I literally touched it with my hands and was like, Oh my gosh, no hesitations, threw it on my bed. Max noticed the difference. They are amazing. They were also named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018. I mean, come on, Oprah Winfrey. Not to mention, Cozy Earth also sells pajama sets that are so soft, comfortable, and cute. I actually wore them the night before and morning of my wedding, and I gifted them to my bridesmaids in pink, and I wore it in white. So I am a big, big, big Cozy Earth fan because I was sleeping in and wearing Cozy Earth on my wedding day morning. Cozy Earth is giving RealPod listeners an insane exclusive offer, and it is 35% off site-wide when you use the code RealPod. That's 35% off site-wide at CozyEarth.com when you use the code RealPod. 35% off site-wide at CozyEarth.com when you use the code RealPod. Check it out today. This episode is brought to you by my feet's favorite sponsor. That's right. If my feet could choose their favorite sponsor of RealPod, they would say it's Vionic hands down. Why? Because Vionic creates the most comfortable shoes with their exclusive Viomotion technology, which aligns and balances the whole you feet first. Now, I have incredibly flat feet. It is honestly like not only is it just kind of jarring how flat they are. But when my mom and I were in the airport last week, my mom was like, Vic, do you realize how flat your feet are? And I was like, I know, I know. Okay. And that's why it's super important that I wear shoes with support, which is why I love Vionic. All of their shoes have support integrated right into the shoe. So you don't have to add an insert or anything like that. And they're really cute. They have heels, they have booties, they have mules, they have sneakers. I just got the Mela slide sandal. I think they're super cute and trendy, especially with spring right around the corner. I got them in cream. I also exclusively wear Vionic slippers around my house, especially because I work from home, just to make sure that I am getting the support that I need. Also, Vionic offers a 30-day risk-free trial, so there's no reason not to buy because wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days if you're not satisfied for any reason at all. So really, there's no reason not to try. Use code REALPOD at checkout for free shipping. We love that. Vionic's giving you free shipping at www.vionicshoes.com. www.vionicshoes.com. Jumping to where we are now, 10 years later, maybe, how do you feel sharing your story consistently? And do you ever feel kind of boxed down by the narrative of like, your experience or is it purely something you view as inspirational and like a part of who you are? I guess sometimes I feel like I have this version of me who was the volleyball player who was anxious, depressed, had a binge eating disorder, overcame that, advocates. And then sometimes I blink and I'm like, wait, I'm 25. I'm married. I don't play volleyball anymore. I'm not depressed. And like, I don't really want to keep living in this 
story that I've worked so hard to get out of. Like I'm currently in like an identity crisis right now, (laughs) Doug, if it's not obvious. I've been like working on this in therapy and usually this, I'm talking about it much lighter than it feels in my heart. But I guess I'm asking what I would think is a fellow Mm. adversity storyteller, like how you deal with where you are at in your life now and still having to carry the trauma of the past. There's a couple things there. I think one is I've learned that it's when I share my story, it's not necessarily about just like me. You know, I'm I'm thinking from like the listener perspective, from the audience perspective, that just because I've gotten to this place in my life or just because you've gotten to this place in your life, there's still people that are struggling, right? Mm-hmm. With the stuff that we've gone through. And there's still people that need to hear our message. And the, the thing that has changed a little bit about me is I've tried to get more like tactical and how I tell my story and that, you know, I share my story, but I also talk about like, you know, certain, you know, takeaways within my story and lessons that I've learned along the way that I think might be relatable to the average person where it's not just me sharing a story of how I overcame addiction because like not everybody is going to struggle with that. But there's a lot of themes of my story. There's a lot of themes of your story that I think everybody relates to, whether that's wanting to be loved, whether that's making the right decisions, whether that's doing something for the right reasons, whether that's remaining optimistic when life outside of you is telling you not to be, whether that is continuing to reinvent yourself, like all these things everybody has a hard time with, right? Mm -hmm. Some are aware of it and some aren't. And, but now as the drug epidemic continues to get really, really poor, I've been vocal about, you know, having people get into something like wellness and it can't be, it's not like wellness is the end all be all for recovery, but just the, the idea of trying to shift poor habits into healthier habits. I think at the core of all of this, people are struggling with their self-confidence or self-esteem. Yeah. And they're so easily distracted by what they think they need to do to feel confident. What, and it's a lot of it's the external stuff, but what they really don't know is that the more confident they will be is going to be a result of them keeping their commitments every single day and then continuing to put themselves out there and, and learn and grow, even if even if like things don't work out the way they thought. Earlier in your story, you talked about how you had these insecurities and then you coped with the weed. I'm curious now for like present day Doug, what insecurities do you deal with on a daily basis? And then what are your current coping strategies? I think there's a few. The one is, am I doing enough? And the way I cope with that is negative that I just, I'm a, I overwork. I tell people I have a commitment issues to work sometimes where I'm like constantly working. I constantly have my phone out like, all right, this is a good podcast episode. Maybe I should have this person on, or maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And it just becomes this constant thing because I'm always wondering like, am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to get to the end of the, of the road? And is my creator going to be like, dude, you had so much more in the tank. Like, why didn't you give more? Or is he going to be like, dude, you work too hard. Mm -hmm. Like, what's he going to say? And I always, I battle with that. So one of my goals this year is to take a step back from that and have more personal time, invest more time into like intimate relationships. Like I'm just so busy with work that like my dating life has kind of been on the back burner for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's almost now gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, you need to like put this in your schedule. Like you have to like allocate a certain amount of time to like meet people and go out. It's not that I don't want to. It's just, I I get so bogged down with work sometimes that I'll have some free time and I'll go spend it with friends and I won't invest it in the right spot sometimes. Do you feel like your inner child still has a fear of rejection? In some ways, yes. In many ways, it's gotten a lot better. And the reason I say that is because, again, in in my 20s, the at the same time that I was doing all this stuff to get attention and external validation and vanity and stuff, I had this cognitive dissonance and I still saw the old Doug in the mirror where people would pay me compliments. They would tell me I looked like the actor Mark Wahlberg. They would tell me that I was attractive. I see that. <laughs> and I, I didn't believe it. I saw myself as this kid who was significantly overweight. People told me that I looked like I had Down syndrome when I was a kid. And so my brain was just wired to, to view that for myself. So even though people were giving me these compliments, I still didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And that held me back from putting myself out there in a, signif- in a, in a serious way with the dating world where I, I, I would go and I would go on a date with a girl. And as soon as they like, validated me by going out with me, that would be it. You know? And it, I was always afraid of like, searching for something deeper because I didn't feel like, worth it. Mm-hmm. 
And then through a lot of work and therapy and coming to a place where I saw the current Doug in the mirror and I didn't see the past Doug, I got a lot better with putting myself out there in, in the dating world and with women and having more confidence around that because for the longest time I had no confidence. Like, you know, because the reality was I didn't have a girlfriend at all in elementary school, middle school, or high school, none. And so for the longest time, I was just like, well, I guess this is just who I'm meant to be single the rest of my life. But once I started to change the, the narrative around that, do some work on myself, things started to change. Cause like, I know that the, the right person isn't going to like me or want to be with me unless I love myself. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm just going to trying to be with somebody so that they can, you know, validate me, I mean, it's, it's never going to work long-term. So you have the self-awareness to recognize that also early in the convo, you said how you, you know, were making good money. You got really fit and you realized that that wasn't the answer. So then how are you trying to reconstruct your daily life and what you're working for? You know, what is the thing that you now feel like is your purpose and how are you trying to live a happy life that's not reliant on those boxes to check? I think that it comes down to, I mean, the simplest thing sometimes it's like, how am I showing up in my relationships with people? How am I showing up for myself? I can control that, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the stuff that I was chasing after, what I looked like, really can't control a lot of that, right? And so focusing on what I can control and then like really like being in tune with my, my gut and my heart and my like soul and like what like really drives me and where I'm actually able to help people. And one of the things that I think I'm really gifted at is being able to help like young adults with who are struggling with their mental health, people who are newly sober, people that are just having a hard time. And not that I come at it from a therapist way, because by all means, I'm not a therapist, but almost as a mentor to these kids, like almost like paying it forward from what my cellmate did to me when I was in jail and helping these kids, because I can relate to them. Like a lot of these kids struggle with the same thing that I struggled with, Mm -hmm. self-esteem, growing up in a broken home, being picked on at school, low self-esteem, low self-confidence. So my vision with with helping them is having fitness be a great tool to help them rebuild some self-confidence some self-esteem to feel better about themselves, to develop some self-discipline. And again, it, the, the goal isn't to be a ripped bodybuilder. The goal is just to be a little bit healthier than they were last week. Well, f- and just, I think, moving our bodies in physical fitness, it does have a direct impact on our overall mood, right, and our energy. And I still have to check myself. Like, I still, I'm like, always, I always want to be successful. I want the podcast to be successful. I want more speaking gigs. I want all of that. But I don't, I don't let it, like, bring me down like it would have in my 20s to where I'm like ruminating on it for hours or days. It might, the thoughts might come up, but it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, you can only control so much. You have to focus on yourself. You have to make sure that you're doing what you can to control you and how you're pouring out to people and how you're treating other people. And then like what's meant to happen will happen. Have you been able to heal your relationship with your parents? Yes. I think forgiveness is a funny thing. Like I think that we all, especially if it's somebody we care about that's still in our lives, even we want, we want to say, I, I'm sorry and I forgive you, but we're waiting for the other person to say it first. And as soon as they say it, you're like, I forgive you. Like, I swear <laughs> I meant to say it like two weeks ago. Right. And that's the way it was with my mom to where her and I, we just, we've been working on things for quite some time. I had to take full ownership of my side of the street. I had to not force her to forgive me or come back around because it took some time. Like she had a lot of, she was hurt. I had to pay attention to my behaviors and my actions and getting better to prove that I was actually changing. And then eventually we had like a heart to heart conversation at dinner one night. And, you know, she was like, is there anything that you wish I would have done differently? And I just said, I I wish she would have asked me why, like why I was doing everything I was doing. I said, I was just in a lot of pain, mom. And I just was doing a lot of this to cope. And that was a big bridge in our relationship. And we forgave each other. And our relationship now is great. You know, I, I helped walk her down the aisle when she got remarried. And the thing with my dad is, you know, my dad and I have always had a, a hard relationship. And it was it's hard because I, I wish I had like a better relationship with him. But I've also had to accept that, that sometimes this is just the way life works out. I don't have any resentment. I don't have any anger towards my dad anymore. I've come to terms with all of that. But I've also had to come to terms with like, sometimes in life, like certain members of your family, you're not going to be as close with them as other people are. Mm -hmm. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I wanted like 
the everybody to be close. I wanted everybody to to like me. But I think the bigger the big lesson here is that you have to be comfortable with yourself. You have to do what you can to move forward and, and let go of the past and resentment as much as you can. And I did that, did that I did that with with my dad. And what I saw as a result of improving the relationship with my parents is it's made my like romantic relationships or my dating life or even like my, my friendships better. I probably had some like mommy and daddy issues in my 20s where I was like seeking validation from women. I was like, you know, almost like seeking validation from like friends in my life to validate me as like a quote unquote father figure. And now I don't need that nearly as much because I've like healed the relationship with my parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's true. Not everyone has this picture perfect family relationship. And I think that's hard. That hurts. And, you know, you can't control everyone in life. But I feel like the more that I get older and I have these conversations, every family has some adversity or they have some challenge. And it's I think it's more rare to hear of families that are like everyone's great nothing's <laughs> wrong i just i don't there's always something i think that's yeah. what makes us human it is and like you know in an ideal world family is ideally like your your blood but i think also family is just the people who bring the best out in you and that's why i talk about like the importance of having like quality relationships in your life whether it's family or not because there's going to be certain situations like mine where I don't have the perfect relationship with my parents and you're going to need support from other people. You're going to need people to hold you accountable. You're going to need people to lean on during hard times. You can't go through this alone. Like as much as it can be a trap to feel a bunch of validation from other people, you still like thrive in community of people, mm -hmm. right? Like that's still very important. And I just think you have to be like super selective with who you let into your world because I do think we feed off the energy of others. And I do think our environment can create a false sense of normalcy. Meaning if, if you're hanging around five people that complain all the time, you will eventually start to complain just as a byproduct of being around that for so long. And so you got to pay attention to that. So what do you think is the biggest lesson that you take away from the whole experience that you had? That no one's coming to save me. You mm -hmm. know, I think that life's unfortunately unfair and it's hard. And cer certainly there's circumstances that were much worse than mine. There's certainly circumstances that were better. But the, and the, idea, the ideal thing that we all want out of these situations is we want our life to get better, right? When we're in horrible situations, it's not like we want it to be like that forever. We're like, I just want my life to get better. And the only hope that we have to make our life better is to accept the fact that we have to take our power back for the most part and, and try to make the best choices we can with what we have. And that doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be ultra successful or happy all the time or whatever you think you want, but at least gives you a shot. When you stay so focused on the situation in itself and you say, you know what, my situation's bad, life's bad, I'm just gonna sit here and wait for something to come save me because I deserve it because my life is poor, you're gonna be sitting there waiting for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. As soon as you know, I, I focused on changing my life, got out of jail, I lived with my grandparents for a little while and then I had mentors, but that all came because of me taking action and like wanting to better myself. I think that's super powerful. And I also think that there are probably people trying to help the people in this position, but they don't even see it as help because they are so like gray cloud in their own mind. You know, you can drag a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Like I would, I bet there are a lot of people trying to help people, but like I think about people I've tried to help in my life and it's like they can't even receive because they like the negativity breeds negativity. They like to sit in the victim mindset because that's comfortable for them. Yeah. You know what else is really hard about that is that I believe like our external world is a reflection of how we feel about our, ourselves internally. And a lot of times the people that we're trying to help in many cases are feeling super low about themselves. And when somebody's feeling super low about themselves, it's really hard for them because their self-esteem is already in the gutter for them to say, you know what, there's something else I need that's wrong with me. I have to admit that stuff's wrong in my life because they don't have the, the self-confidence yet or the self-esteem to know that like it doesn't mean that that defines them, right? Yes. They fear that if they admit that they need they need help, that their you know level two self-esteem of where they're at now is gonna be like a negative five. Right. But the reality is when you say I need help or yes, I'm open to receiving help, that level two self-esteem over time will rise because you'll hopefully start to change your habits and your behaviors and I just try to tell people who are like struggling in that spot where they don't want help. I'm like, listen, like, what's the story you want to be telling yourself in 10 years? You want to be telling yourself that 
you know, you're sitting there talking to your kids, you're talking to your grandkids or whoever and being like, you know what? Like, I'm so thankful that I asked for help, that I put my hand out. And I, even though I didn't feel good about myself, like this really helped me feel better. Even though it was uncomfortable in that moment, I'm so thankful that I am where I am today. Do you want that story or do you want the story of, gosh, I wish I would have just asked for help. I know I needed help. I know my self-esteem was shot, but I didn't. And now my life is, is, is completely falling apart. My relationships are damaged. And I just have so much regret in my life. And it's wild that our mind convinces us that that is the surrender or that is the weak thing to do when really, if I think about the time in my life I asked help or I think about your story, the most strong, admirable, brave thing that we ever did was say, I'm struggling with this and I don't have the answers and I need someone to help me. Like in hindsight, it takes so much to do that. Yet in the shame, we convince ourselves that that is the worst, most embarrassing thing that we could do. Right. Well, because I think a lot of times when we're in those situations, you feel powerless, you feel hopeless, you feel out of control. And then when you have somebody offering to help you, it makes you feel even more powerless, right? And helpless, hopeless, and out of control because you're like, man, why can't I pick myself out of this mess myself? Why can't I change on my own? Like, why? What happened for me is that sometimes in life when our, our, we have our face like just planted in the mud and we can't see crap in front of us, sometimes when you have that person come alongside of you and lift your head up out of the mud just a little bit, you're able to see like a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light. And then if you have the right mindset and you're able to be like, all right, I can actually see some hope, then you're able to be like, all right, I can change. And then those habits start to build off of each other. And then that's kind of what happened with me when I was in jail. The, the, the thought of me doing 10 pushups and running a mile at the end of my jail sentence when I walked in was like climbing Mount Everest today. Like there's no way I, I was going to be able to do it in my mind. But that one pushup on my knees gave me a little bit of hope. Two pushups on my knees, three pushups. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I can do this thing. And it all came from like just stacking these small wins and then building that confidence in achieving things that I never thought I could do. Doug, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story and it's incredibly inspiring and I feel like there are not as many men talking about these issues. And so I definitely believe that hits and just thank you for being that voice. Thanks for having me. I love the conversation. I loved how we took, took it a different route. And, <laughs> and thank you for, for you opening up and sharing what you shared as well. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.